0: Hey, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm I'm thankful that you're here. Since you're here and you're uh, bright eyed and bushy tailed, why don't you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, these on the table in the back of the room. It's important that you have a Bible. And so we want you to pick one of these up and take it home with you. Uh, Many of you know we've been reading through the entire Bible this year as a church in a series we've called Planted, but we're already working on what we're going to be reading together for next year. And so uh, you will need a Bible for that, so pick one of those up. It's page 806 in these Bibles if you want to pick one of those up. There is a large body of water on the far western edge of Israel called the Dead Sea. You've probably heard of it. Do you know why they call it the Dead Sea? It's not a trick question. (laughs) Because it's dead. It's dead. It's uh, so salty. It's nine times saltier than the Pacific Ocean. It's the saltiest body of water on the planet. And because the salt content is so high, nothing can live in it. No fish, nothing. And so it's a big place, 10 miles wide by 50 miles long. Um, But it's beautiful to look at. But I promise you, you won't find any fishing charters on it or sailboats or jet skis. No sunset cruises, uh, no vacation homes around it, and most people, especially locals, won't swim in it, but some people do go specifically to swim in it. Who would go to swim in the Dead Sea? Well, it's tourists, right? It's people who are visiting from out of town, and they've heard that the salt density is so high that you can actually float in the Dead Sea. You won't sink. You'll float. I personally think they should have a triathlon there, and I might do that one because I wouldn't sink, um, but they don't. And so you can go and float in the Dead Sea, and you can see that. But regardless of whatever brings people to the Dead Sea, what you need to know about that is it's dead. It's dead. And now there is a freshwater inlet to the Dead Sea. It's called the Jordan River. Uh, you've read about it in Scripture. maybe you know about it. Jordan River flows uh, from the north of Israel on through the Sea of Galilee, which is up here uh, by where it says Tiberias, and then flows on down into the Dead Sea, but that's where it stops. So it has this freshwater source. so why is it dead? Well, because it has no outlet. Once the water comes in, there's no place for it to go. There's no place for the saltiness to escape. And so the fresh water enters in. Salt has no place to go, and the hot desert sun evaporates the water, is evaporating the water, and little by little, it just gets more and more salty. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about how to avoid becoming a Dead Sea Christian. Uh, What is that? Well, it's someone who has experienced the powerful work of Jesus in their life and yet refuses to be transformed by it. How is it possible to be on the receiving end of so many of God's blessings in our lives, but not experience any change or transformation because of that. Uh, We receive and we receive and we receive, but when we refuse to be an outlet for God's blessings, we can become dead. And so everything that you have and everything that I have is a result of God's uh, wonderful, amazing grace, which flows into our lives as we trust him each day, Uh, as our Savior and our provider. But God doesn't bless us just so that we can accumulate things uh, or consume everything for ourselves. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. He blesses us so that we can generously provide for others too. In fact, God's greatest act of generosity is the greatest act, the most generous act that's ever happened, that ever took place, when his son Jesus came to earth to live as a human, to die a death that we deserved, And because he gave his life, he wants us to be a channel of blessing to others. And so today I want to talk to you about the importance of giving and the motivation behind our giving. I want to show you how God has been, uh, what God's been doing through our church and how he's been blessing ministries around the world that are helping people find their way back to him, what he's been able to do with our collective generosity. And so 2 Corinthians 8 is where I'm going to read from. I'm going to read this entire passage and then we'll come back and revisit it uh, a little bit, a little by little. Second uh, Corinthians eight verse one says this, "And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, you, or so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, this is a letter that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, um, I ran a half marathon yesterday, and I am having a real hard time moving around up here and bending over. I was just going to go, I'm just going to go drop that Bible on the stand. Uh, Two things that have already helped me, me notice my age since I've been up here preaching this morning. And one is I had to hold the Bible at the exact right distance from my eyes so that I could read the text and in the light. So if you saw me doing this, I was like... I did not bring my reading glasses, and my eyes are 51 years old. Uh, and uh, the second one is, I just don't recover as well as I used to. Um, this letter, 2 Corinthians, was written by a man named, we know as the Apostle Paul. And it was written to a church, a brand-new church, a church plant in the city of Corinth. And he spent about a year and a half in Corinth when he planted this church, but he eventually left. And he hadn't been gone for very long when he realized that, that he got this report from the church in Corinth that there was a messy situation that was happening. And personally, I'm kind of glad to hear this because sometimes my life can be messy. I don't know about you, But I suspect that sometimes your life can be messy. We can be messy. We're people. People are messy. Sometimes the church is messy. Uh, Every church, any normal church family can get a little messy from time to time. But God was able, despite the mess, to do some pretty incredible things through the church in Corinth. And despite the mess that we sometimes get into at Genesis, God is able to do some pretty amazing things through this church as well. But this messy report prompted Paul to write a series of letters back to this church that he had helped plant in Corinth. And in fact, according to Scripture, we think he's written as many as four letters to the church in Corinth. Now, we have two of those preserved in our modern Bible. The first one is called 1 Corinthians, even though it's probably the second letter he actually wrote. (laughs) But it's the first one we have preserved in our Bible. It's brilliantly called 1 Corinthians. Now, the one we're reading today is called 2 Corinthians. It's probably the fourth one that he wrote but it's called 2 Corinthians. And so Paul wrote this letter as a way of reestablishing his commitment to this church, to the people of this church, but also he wanted to encourage them to take the next step in their faith, to do something that had the potential to deepen their faith and to strengthen their faith in a powerful way. And so this is what he said. This is where we're going to concentrate today. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says this, but since you excel in everything, it's always good to start um, a correction with a compliment, right? Right? uh, Since you excel in everything, you excel in in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, he says, but here's the problem. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. And he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty, might become rich. So Paul is going to spur this church on to greater giving. And when it comes to giving, like so many areas of your life, Paul says that Jesus is our model for that. He's our perfect model. How? Well, Jesus gave up the riches and comforts of heaven. He willingly set that aside so he could come to earth and become poor for our sake, taking on all of our sin and all of our shame. And he gave up everything by giving his life on the cross. Paul says, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus became poor so that we could be rich. He gave his life so that you and I could have life. He died a horrible death and rose from the grave so that you could enjoy the wonderful riches of his forgiveness and salvation. We have been forgiven. We have the hope of eternal life now and forever because of this free gift from God that is available to us in Jesus. And that's just one of the many gifts that we get when we find our way back to God. Look at what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Romans 8:32. He said this. He, God, he didn't who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him, okay, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things. Now, what does it mean that God graciously gives us all things? Well, a couple of years ago, I wondered about this. And so I just started, as I was reading through the New Testament, I started writing down some of the things that God gives us when we find our way back to him, okay, when we become followers of Jesus. And these are some things that I found, and I thought I'd share them with you today. What do we get when we become Christians? Forgiveness of sin, Colossians 3 says that. We get the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that. We, get, we become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 says that. We get freedom from slavery, according to Galatians 4. We have citizenship in heaven, Philippians 3. We have strength to do all things in Philippians 4. We have a promise to appear with Christ in glory, says Colossians 3. We get spiritual gifts, according to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. They spell those out for us. We have access to God's throne We have access to God's throne in Hebrews 4, it tells us. We have a church family, 1 Corinthians 12. We talked about that last week. And we get a full and abundant life, John 10, Colossians 2. Those are just some of the things that God promises to give us when we find our way back to him. And that same God has promised to provide us with everything that we need for this life. House, our apartments, clothes, food, the resources to purchase fun things like vacations and Girl Scout cookies and new cars and Christmas gifts for our friends and family. He is a generous God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And so how should we respond? How should we respond to his blessings and generosity? Well, God wants us to do what he does. He wants those blessings to flow back out of us, to give to others. We are the hands and feet of Jesus to this world. We talked about this last week. He wants his blessings to come into our lives and then flow through us into the lives of others as well. And In other words, we need to have an outlet. And so the more we understand what God did for us in Jesus, the more we understand all that we've been given Uh, that more that understanding is going to motivate us to be more like Jesus, to love like Jesus. But the opposite of that is true as well. If we fail to really see what Jesus has done for us, if we refuse to let the Holy Spirit move in our lives and in our hearts, if those blessings only ever flow into us and never flow back out of us, we're going to look a lot like the Dead Sea. There'll be no spiritual life in us. Genesis, you can't experience the life-changing love and grace of Jesus in your life and not be transformed. If Jesus is really going to be your leader, he's going to be your boss, if he's going to be the Lord of your life, you're going to keep growing, and that means you can't not be generous. It kind of reminds me of the story of Zacchaeus. Take his story. You know, the story of Zacchaeus is captured in Luke chapter 19. You remember his story? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he, climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who got rich extorting money from others, and people hated him. That's not in the song. That's in the Bible, but I don't. <clears throat> they don't put those things in the song. I guess it's not as much fun for little kids to sing, but people hated Zacchaeus. He stole from them. He extorted money from them. Extortion is not a good Sunday school song topic, I guess, but personally, Zacchaeus was dying on the inside. But then Jesus got a hold of his life, and Zacchaeus experienced this life-changing grace from Jesus. Now, what was his response to it all? He gave away 50% or half of his income to the poor, and then he pledged to return four times as much as he had stolen from the people he cheated it out of. See, Zacchaeus was a slave to his money and all of its false promises about personal satisfaction and security. But then all of that changed with Jesus. When he met Jesus, Jesus changed his life and did a new work in Zacchaeus. And that new work caused him to be generous with others. And when you trust Jesus and start surrendering every part of who you are to his leadership over you, he's going to change you. I know that because he changed me. I mean, I've told this story before, but I sat in church one time, a long time ago, early in my walk with God, and I had surrendered so many things to God. And uh, the pastor said, God loves a cheerful giver. And I said, well, that's great because I can't be cheerful about giving as much as he wants me to give, and so I'm only going to give what I'm cheerful about. But then God kept working in my heart and working in my life, and he changed my attitude about money, and he's going to change yours too and he changed the way I live and changed the way I think about money, he can do that for you too. Or you can push back. You can hold him back. You can refuse the work of God in your life. But who wants that? I mean, don't we all want a deeper relationship with Jesus? Don't we all want God to transform our lives so that we look more like Jesus and act more like Jesus every day? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul wants for this church in Corinth. And He wants to help them grow in their faith, and Paul knows that giving has the potential to catalyze their faith and their spiritual growth, and so he's encouraging them to give. But notice something about his request in verse 8. He says this. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul is challenging them to be generous, but he's not demanding it of them. He doesn't want them to give out of guilt, which, by the way, guilt is always a bad motivation to give. And Paul says, I want to attest the sincerity of your love. Well, love for whom? I think Paul has a couple things in mind here. One, he's eager for the church in Corinth to make a financial contribution to famine relief for some Christians that were living in Jerusalem. As we read through the book of Acts, you may remember this. The the first church was centered in Jerusalem. It was basically in Jerusalem until there was a lot of persecution. And then some of the Christians were forced to flee to these other areas like Corinth, uh, like Philippi, like, like Thessalonica, like Berea. They were forced to flee to these other places and form churches there. And as they did, there was a, a group of Christians that were left behind in Jerusalem. Well, these Christians have been, are being persecuted, and um, they're dying of hunger and illness. They lacked all kinds of basic necessities, including food. And so Paul is taking up a collection from other churches around the area to help feed them and make sure that he can help the Christians back in Jerusalem. And he's about to return to Corinth to collect their support. And he reminds them that love, love for his, their brothers and sisters, should be the motivating factor behind their giving. But there's something else about the love that Paul is talking about because it's okay to love people and love the project, and that's a good motivation to give. But Paul wants to make sure that they're giving out of their love for Jesus more than anything else. He basically says, give because you love Jesus and let your love for Jesus enable you to see these people, your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, enables them to see, uh, enables you to see these people the way that Jesus sees them. You can see their needs, you can see their hurt, because when we, you understand what that does to Jesus' heart, you want to be part of that work too. When you truly understand the links that Jesus went to save you, you can't help but respond for the sake of others. And honestly, that's why we give at Genesis. That's why we want to be a generous church. We give because Jesus gave first. He gave to us and for us. He gave his life for us, but we also give because we want to see people the way that Jesus sees them. We, we believe we're called to be a blessing to others. That's one of the reasons that we're giving winter supplies to Food for Souls for our uh, Friends Without Homes throughout our through our Love Your Neighbor drive. We've done this for the last seven years, and we um, have been started. Move- we move this back to October, November, so that we can get some supplies in their hands before winter. But we've got lists at the info hub uh, of items that are desperately needed by Food for Souls. They go down every week, every Sunday. They make a trip downtown to the homeless camps around Indianapolis and um, deliver food and supplies that are needed down there. And uh, your donation can make a difference. That's why we're collecting those out there, and they're due back next week. Just as a reminder, but there is a list at the info hub with all the supplies. We've done this for quite a few years. But it's also why we give financially to different ministry partners and missionaries uh, here in central Indiana and throughout the world. Now, this list, I'm gonna share with you the list of people that we're currently financially supporting. And remember that this list is only those that we give to every month. And so I'm going to break this down into three parts. I'm going to talk about our outreach partners. Our outreach partners are people who are kind of being the hands and feet of Jesus on the ground in areas where we usually don't go. Uh, I'm going to talk about our missionaries. We've got people that are spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus around the world. And then we've got some church plants that we've helped support. Our outreach partners. Nehemiah Vision Ministries is down in Haiti. Many of you are familiar with them. Maybe you've taken a trip to Haiti before and been a part of that team. Uh, it, they're an incredible, they do an incredible job. They've got a church, a school, uh, a feeding ministry, a medical ministry. Uh, we have used to take two trips a year to Haiti before COVID and now there's a lot of political unrest in Haiti so we haven't been able to do that. We probably won't be able to do that for a while but they are still on the ground doing incredible work with the Haitians in Chambron and around that area. Um, there's just some incredible things happening through Nehemiah Vision Ministries. Opportunities Now is a ministry in Myanmar. Uh, many of, how many of you know where Myanmar is? Just raise your hand if you know. Boy, yeah, it's, it's, it, you, it's hard to get to. It's an incredible ministry. They teach. They, we've sent s- several businessmen and women to Yangon, Myanmar, uh, to teach young entrepreneurs how to have a business with a Christian impact. But Myanmar, if you pay attention to the news, they are uh, under political impression right now. There's not a lot of business happening there. There's not a lot of economic uh, development happening there. We haven't had a team. In fact, their entire uh, staff, their American staff is here in the states, all centered around central Indiana, in part because of... Genesis is generosity to them. They want to be uh, close to our church, so they're here now. Last Bell Ministries in Ukraine works with kids who are graduating out of or- orphanages. Most of the orphanages uh, will kick them out at 13, and if they don't have a place to go, they can get into some uh, pretty seedy things. And so Last Bell works with those kids to have something for them to do after they leave the orphanage. Uh, Shepherd Community Center, right here in Indianapolis, is on the Near East Side. They work in kind of three zip codes down there to do after school programs with kids and IPS schools. They have a, a feeding program down there as well. Uh, they're always looking for volunteers to go down and serve. Uh, Shepherd Community is a great partner ministry of ours in Indy. Food for Souls we already talked about. They're the ones that work with the homeless community in Indianapolis. Young Life here in Hamilton County, uh, right here in Noblesville Schools and Westfield Schools. Nobles uh, Young Life Uh, is able to reach kids, most of whom don't have a church home, and share the gospel with them right there in their schools and in people's homes in the evening. Uh, And some uh, Young Life just does some incredible things in Hamilton County. And then the Cooper House right here in Noblesville, uh, the Cooper House works with uh, families whose kids are in the foster care system uh, to try to help that reunification process and to provide resources for the parents whose kids are in foster care. Well, that's our outreach partners that we give to on a monthly basis. We also have some missionaries, as I mentioned. Some of our missionaries that we support around the world, Stuart and Amanda Long, are in Scotland. Some of you may know Amanda. She was on staff here at Genesis before she left uh, to go on staff with Stuart. And uh, they're doing work over there. David and Carrie Hartman are part of Genesis Church. But they're working in Central Asia now to spread the gospel in a largely Muslim area. Uh, Ryan Sudsbury is in the Dominican Republic, and uh, they're doing some great works down there. We're working with him to maybe try to get a trip down there in the next year or so. And then Chris Lowe's right here at Genesis in Noblesville working with Crew, um, which is a great ministry that he's a part of. And then uh, the other thing is we work with church plants. We're helping to plant some churches around the world, New Thing Network. Uh, is a group that we're a part of. They have planted thousands of churches over the past seven or eight years since we've been a part of that. Uh, New Heights Church in Indianapolis, you've heard us talk about before. That's Pastor Ken Johnson. He's working to build uh, a multicultural, multiracial church down in the north side of Indianapolis. Uh, We're going into our fourth year of supporting New Heights Church. ICF Church in Albania, in Tirana, Albania, is an incredible partner of ours. Pastor Altin Kita has been here before. He's spoken on our stage. And um, if you've been, uh, been to Albania, if you've seen that ministry in action, they have planted hundreds of churches around Albania and the Balkan, uh, the Balkan region. And uh, they're a great partner. And then Reality Church in Miami, you just heard about. this. All of this list, all three of these lists are uh, $14,000 a month in support, $170,000 a year Um, And why do we do that? Why why do we give that money away? Well, because Jesus gave first. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. And these other ministries are helping people find their way back to God here in Hamilton County, in Indianapolis, and throughout the world. And so just to give you a heads up, we're going to take a Christmas offering again. We're going to start that later this month. Uh, We started this a few years ago where every dollar that we collected over Christmas weekend, we gave right back away to our partner ministries for kind of an over and above gift uh, for something that they need. We've started asking them, what would you use this money for if you had it? And so our Christmas offering is going to run through the end of December and we will give all of it away. And uh, so would you please start praying about how you might have a part in that? Now, maybe you hear this and you think, well, I'd give more if I had more. I'd give more if I had more. That's something that I have said in the past. Maybe you think that too, but it's not really a how-much-I-have issue. You know, when Jesus becomes the motivator behind our giving, our income level doesn't matter. Our love for Jesus is what matters, and our love for others is what matters. A few weeks ago um, in this service, a woman approached our lead pastor, Paul Mumaw, And uh, she introduced herself, and she said that she had started attending Genesis right before COVID hit, and it was her first Sunday back. And she had been watching online, but uh, she talked a little bit about her life and how she found Genesis. But then she reached into her purse, and she pulled out an envelope that was stuffed full of cash. And uh, Paul said, well, what's this for? And she said, well, since I haven't been here in 18 months, I've been putting my offering in this envelope every week, and I'm here to give my offering today. She said, this is for God. And uh, when Paul shared this story with our staff, we all got a little teary-eyed and I was so humbled. I, I saw so much of her faith in that moment. And to be honest, like, I want Jesus to do that in me. Like I, I want him to do in me what he's been doing in her. And see, giving is not about what you make or what you save or what you have. It's about your priorities. And I'm reminded of this all the time too, because it's all for Jesus. It's his love working in you and through you. Look at verse eight again. Paul says this, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, who are the others? Well, if you look back a paragraph or two, you'll see in verse one, he says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul uses these churches in Macedonia As the example. Now, this would include the churches in uh, Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. And Paul had visited them in Acts 16. And while he was there, he collected an offering from them that was going to be used uh, to feed these same Christians, help these same Christians in Jerusalem. So they must have been really rich, right? These churches in Macedonia. Well, look at what Paul says in verse 2. He says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, what was going on here? Well, first of all, these churches were very poor. The word Paul uses here for extreme poverty, that word, is actually where we get the English word for bathysphere. Are you familiar with the bathysphere? This was a submarine-like vehicle that allowed divers to explore extreme depths in the ocean. Basically, it was designed in the 1930s and did a series of very deep dives off the coast of Bermuda, And was able to explore thousands of feet under the surface of the sea. So very deep. This was deep poverty, all right? And they were also living under a lot of pressure, too. The culture around them kept squeezing these Christians and churches as hard as they could because they were disgusted by their love for one another and their devotion to Jesus. But in spite of these trials, Paul says... They gave, look at this, verse 3 says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. He says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service. Can you imagine? I have never, I've been a pastor for 10 years now. I've never had anybody come up to me after the service and start pleading with me to give more for their offering. If they, I would be blown away if one of you did. But if you came up after the service and said, please, Steve, Please, I want to give more in my offering. That's what they were doing. That's what Paul says. He said, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Why did they give? Well, they couldn't help themselves. They were so overwhelmed and overjoyed by the grace that they had experienced in their own lives that it just came out. It was an outlet. It was an overflow for them. Following Jesus and letting him influence your giving is a lot like that. It's not something we do because we're well off or we have some extra. It's not out of guilt or pressure. It's being so overwhelmed by the presence of Christ in our lives that we can't help but act. You have to respond. And so we've got these poor Christians in Macedonia that are giving even in their poverty. And on the other hand, you've got this church in Corinth that is a very wealthy city. And it's almost like Paul says, you're not gonna let those churches in Macedonia outgive you, are you? Because if they do, it certainly won't be because they have bigger homes or bank accounts. I mean, it's, they have almost nothing. I wonder if you've ever experienced this in your life. Have you been to a place where you've seen incredible generosity come out of extreme poverty? If you've been to Haiti Myanmar or certain parts of East Africa, you've seen how this works. You've seen the generosity that can happen even in extremely poor environments where somebody invites you into their house and makes a meal with everything they have in their home to give to you. So what got into the people of Macedonia? God did. I mean, his love got a hold on their hearts and their minds and it changed everything for them. Church, we have received so much, so much grace, so much love, God has blessed us in so many ways, and we want to be able to keep being a blessing, a channel of love to others. But let's not just pray for more money to give away. Let's ask the Lord for us to be more surrendered to him, to have more love for him. Because the more we get planted in God and his word, the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we grow. And the more we grow, the more we become like Jesus, the more you won't be able to hold back. Paul wanted the Corinthians to excel in this. Look at this, verse 7. He says, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. Paul knew that these people weren't going to grow in their faith, at least not grow much more, if they didn't allow their faith in Jesus to influence every area of their life, even the way they viewed and treated their money. And for many of us in this room, the way we view money has become kind of a lid for how much we're gonna grow in our faith. I know this because I have experienced this in my life. When I was finding my way back to God, I was willing to give God a lot of things. I I turned my marriage over to him. I turned my family over to him. I turned uh, my time over to him and how I would serve. I I, I turned my priorities over to him. And the last thing that was there was my finances. It was kind of the, the last holdout of what I was willing to get, and it provided a lid for my faith. I wasn't able to grow, and I always prayed and asked, because I was turning my prayers over to him. I was saying, God, why aren't you allowing me to grow? And he says, Steve, I still don't have your whole life. You see, there's this thing that's holding you back from growing, and when I was finally able to just let go of that, the lid came off, and I was able to grow in my faith. You know, God wants every area of your life You're not going to grow in your faith or your relationship with Jesus without committing your finances to him too. Jesus wants to rule every part of your life and every part of my life. He wants to be the Lord over your thoughts, over your relationships, over what you do with your life. He he wants to be the Lord over the college you're going to go to someday or the job you're going to pick someday. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be the greatest influencer in all parts of your life and how you manage all of your resources. And so just a challenge today, very simple challenge uh, one of two, I want to encourage you to take one of two steps before the end of the year. For those of you who want to take a step in your giving, you can take another step towards growing in this grace of giving. Look at this. There's two ways to do it. Number one is to make a gift through our Christmas offering. Now we've talked about a lot of things today, a lot of ways that you can make a difference, food for souls and, and Christmas offering. And we, we, we just want you to know you don't have to do everything, but if God's calling you to do something, would you do something? You can make a gift through our Christmas offering. We're, we're going to open this up in the next couple weeks. It'll last uh, through the end of the year, and you can make a gift uh, either online by choosing Christmas offering. We'll have some red envelopes set back there, or if you come on Christmas weekend, every dollar you give will go to the Christmas offering. The second way that you can do that is to buy less, give more. You know, what if you and your family decided, you know what, we're going to buy one less gift for each other this year, and we're going to use that money to give to something that matters to us. Hey, you've been to the store lately. They're out of everything anyway. I mean, how are you gonna buy presents for people? Why don't you why don't you just make it look intentional? Hey, you know what? We're just not gonna buy as much this year. And instead, we're gonna do something that matters to us. Let's let's grow together. Let's let's respond to the powerful love of Christ together. Let, let's allow God to be a blessing to others through us. Let's keep growing and excel in the grace of giving together. You know the sad part about the Dead Sea is it's, it's, it's dying. It's evaporating. It's shrinking back rapidly. It's a pretty big concern around Israel today. There's all sorts of conversations underway about how do we preserve it? How do we get more fresh water into the Dead Sea uh, so that it doesn't completely dry up? And I, I know many of you in this room feel completely stuck when it comes to your faith. You feel like you're drying up. Maybe you feel distant from God. I want to ask you a really important question. Where's your outlet? Where do you pay forward the blessings that God has given you? In other words, what part does generosity play in your life? Don't dry up. Don't overlook God's blessings and provision in your life. Don't lose sight of what God has done for you, what he's accomplished in you. Don't underestimate how God wants to use you, even you, to be a blessing to others. We live in a tough world. There's so much hurt and anger and need in our world right now, there's a lot of resentment towards the church and towards Christians. I mean, what if this one act of generosity could make a huge difference in the way people view you, view the church, and view Jesus? Like, what if our generosity could be an arrow that points people back to God? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word. And I'm thankful for this example of the churches in Macedonia who out of their poverty gave to help others, out of their love for others and their love for Jesus that they gave. And Lord, I'm, I'm just stunned by this picture of them pleading to give more, pleading to be a part of this offering. And Lord, I want that for me. Would you work in my heart to do that? I want that for our church. And I know that there are some of us in this room right now that have so many things going on financially in our lives that we look at it and go, I don't know how I can give anything else. But you are the God who put olive oil in empty jars. You you are the God who made something out of nothing. You are the God who fed 5,000 people on five loaves of bread and two fish. You can make amazing things out of so little that we offer. Lord, I sense that you're just asking for our obedience in this. So Lord, help us to be obedient. Help our unbelief. Lord, would you make it so that Genesis Church can be a beacon to people throughout our community and not because of who we are, but because of who you are, because of your grace, your forgiveness, your blessings that you give to us. Lord, uh, let us shine like a light for you in our community and throughout the world through all of these partners. We thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, throughout the world, through Genesis Church. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name.